Welcome to American Dissident Voices. I'm Kevin Alfred Strom. I was nearly 20 years old on Independence Day, 1976, the 200th anniversary of the beginnings of the American Republic. So in the extremely unlikely event that I make it to the 300th anniversary, I will be 120 years old in 2076, 53 years from now. But it is very likely that my children will be alive then, and any children and grandchildren they may have. And it is very likely that many of you in my audience will be there, or your children will. What we do now will determine what that day will be like. It's been 47 years since that bicentennial day, which I remember well. Almost 10 years before that bicentennial day, in 1967, and in the decade before that, the great American leader George Lincoln Rockwell warned us, quote, Aryan white humanity is on the precipice of darkness and oblivion. Strewn on the crags in the eternal blackness below are the bones of other know-it-all pompous civilizations, which were doubtless unable to imagine their own demise at the very time when they were surrounded by the outward power and magnificence of empire. They were unable to realize or face up to the total threat of a growing weakness and quote-unquote humanitarianism, unable to muster the total will necessary to reverse the historical march to death and oblivion. They were too lazy and selfish, greedy and cowardly to heed the tiny few who have been burned, crucified, stoned, fed to the lions, or handed the cup of hemlock. If there is any history a thousand years hence, and any people able to study it, they will marvel in disbelief, most of all, at the stubborn refusal of the white man to use his overwhelming strength his knowledge, and the providential gift of Adolf Hitler's leadership to save himself from the most incredible and cringing slavery at the hands of a relatively tiny gang of disgusting, pathologically unbalanced, physically weak and cowardly, arrogant, tyrannical Jews. Our problems today are not American problems, British problems, French, German, or European, or African problems. They are problems of survival for all white men. Close quote. Twenty years before that bicentennial, beginning in the 1950s, and until his death 40 years later, one of the greatest writers and scholars of the 20th century, 
Revelo Pendleton Oliver, warned us. Quote, when God's chosen pirates invade a nation, they, with the instinct that makes wolves hamstring the caribou they intend to devour, immediately infiltrate and capture the Aryan institutions and organizations that might enable their destined victims to resist them. And even after they own all the channels of communication in the doomed nation, they remain vigilant and police their Aryan subjects. You could not organize a national pinochle club and enlist a substantial membership without having some Jew, perhaps disguised as a white man or woman, exhibit great zeal for pinochle and aid you with prudent advice and, of course, a stack of the dirtied paper that the Jews have now taught the boobs to use in place of money. And you would eventually discover that you had become just a dispensable ornament, a supernumerary in the club you had organized. That, of course, is what often makes it so difficult to judge with certainty the morality of some ostensibly patriotic leaders. One cannot be sure whether Robert the Welcher secretly founded the Birch Society as a diversionary enterprise to enlist and demoralize the Americans, who in 1958 might conceivably have recovered possession of their country. Or, instead, really began with the purposes he professed and unwarily accepted financial and political guidance from Jews who simulated devotion to his purposes until they had established ascendancy over him and began to tell their goy figurehead what he must do. The master race to whom... As all good Christians know from their reading of their Jew book, Yahweh promised domination over the earth, is ubiquitous and zealous, helping Yahweh carry out his repeated promise, e.g. Isaiah 60.12, to destroy all nations that are not content humbly to serve his chosen predators. A letter I saw some years ago in Inspiration Magazine for December 1979 is apropos. Here it is. Begin letter. The writer of a letter in your August issue estimates the number of Jews in our country as 20 million or more. He is probably right. I grew up in the 1930s in a small town in Minnesota that had a population of four to 5,000. When I went east to a graduate school, one of my professors was an amiable Jewish scholar whom I came to know fairly well. In a conversation one day, I remarked that I had spent my childhood in a town in which there were no Jews. He smiled patronizingly. They were there, he said, but you didn't know it. And letter. Of course they were there keeping watch on one of the herds in their new promised land. If the writer of the letter was unaware of the presence of an alien race, 
its soldiers were probably disguised as Scandinavians or Germans, whichever ethnic group formed the majority. That small town would have called for no considerable diversion of manpower. One of the holy men who dished out God's word in the local churches, and one or two prosperous businessmen would have sufficed for total control. So small a town probably had no newspaper, so its unsuspecting inhabitants probably took their news from the daily scandal sheet in a nearby large town or city, which Jews either owned or controlled through its advertising and financial structure. And when that polluted news was endorsed by respected and influential citizens of the little town, its unfortunate inhabitants knew what to think. Yahweh has taught his own to be thorough and leave nothing to chance. The gangsters have sabotaged the minds of children for three full generations and are now operating on the brains of the great-grandchildren of their early victims. What is left of our nation, the Aryans who once owned the United States and gave it away to their enemies, has been made childish and feckless, irrational and irresponsible. It is true that a few children, genetically superior or born of parents wise enough to administer some prophylaxis against the poisons of the schools and the environment the schools created, try to understand their race's plight rather than adjust to it. But they are in a hopeless minority. We can only hope that through chance events now unforeseeable, they will survive the chaos ahead and leave progeny that can fulfill the potentiality that was once innate in our race. Close quote. On that bicentennial day, and in the years immediately before it, and then for more than thirty years of his life, the physicist and philosopher and founder of cosmotheism, Dr. William Pierce, warned us, quote, The fact is that year by year Philadelphia is becoming more like Kampala. A century ago, when Philadelphia was still a white city, a huge wave of Jewish immigration to America from Eastern Europe was taking place. By 1900, there were already a million Jews in the United States, and more were arriving at a rate of 40,000 a year. Almost as soon as they got off the boat, these Jews began elbowing their way into the mass media of news and entertainment, buying up newspapers, theaters, magazines, and book publishing companies. A few years later, they were taking over Hollywood and buying up radio stations, then television stations and TV production companies. They seemed to have an unerring instinct for what they needed to do 
in order to destroy the new country in which they had arrived. We had, of course, plenty of destructive undesirables of our own already here. Even before the Civil War, psychopaths such as John Brown murdered their fellow whites on behalf of blacks and attempted to equalize the races. After the Civil War, we had even more hate-crazed egalitarians attempting to punish whites, mostly white Southerners, for being better than blacks. Some, like John Brown, justified their murderous egalitarianism on Christian grounds. But after the Civil War and the shameful policies directed against Southerners during the Reconstruction period, there was no large-scale systematic effort by whites, Christian or otherwise, to mongrelize and to degrade America. We still had an abundance of crazies and haters around, but without an organizing force behind them, they were a potential rather than an actual danger. Such an organizing force appeared after the Jews had fastened their grip on America's mass media of news and entertainment and brought the lemmings under their influence. In fact, it really wasn't until after the Second World War that the Jews pulled out all the stops and made the destruction of white America their primary goal, enlisting our own worst elements for assistance in that purpose. Before that, they had needed America to beat Europe into submission. If they hadn't been able to use America against Europe during the Second World War, the Jewish problem would have been solved in a final way in the 1940s, at least in Europe. But after the war, they no longer needed a powerful America, and so they employed every corrosive medium in their arsenal to subvert and to weaken us. They promoted homosexuality, first as an acceptable lifestyle, and then as a fashionable lifestyle. They pushed feminism and the quote-unquote liberation of women, which is to say they convinced our women that they were being liberated by choosing to be lawyers or financial consultants or business executives instead of mothers. They opened our borders to the third world, which is to say they used their media control and their bought politicians to scrap our pro-white immigration laws and replace them with laws favoring non-white immigration. They financed and led the so-called civil rights movement. They demanded and got the abolition of laws against miscegenation. Close quote. From the day I began American Dissident Voices in 1991 until today, I also have been warning you more than 30 years now, and will soon be coming up on the 20th anniversary of the founding of NationalVanguard.org. At the beginning of this program, I said that what you and I 
do with our lives right now will determine what the 300th anniversary of American independence will be like on the 4th of July, 2076. If we do right, I believe that that day will still be one of celebration and celebration far more justified and sincere than the travesty of fake emotion and mindless and meaningless flag-waving that it has become today. Because if we do right, there will still be a white race living and making its home here in North America. If we do right, our white race will be flourishing instead of dying by a thousand cuts as it is today. If we do right, the rich valleys and high mountains and great ranges and seacoasts will once again be places for our boys and girls to grow up safely and find worthy mates to carry on all that we are and all our dreams to the next generation. If we do right, the white men who founded this nation will still have a posterity, the posterity they spoke of in the opening passages of the United States Constitution. Posterity, meaning actual, lineal descendants and kin, which they clearly defined in the Naturalization Act of 1790 as white people and white people alone. And we, their living posterity, will have a living posterity too. And if we do right, we will have a living posterity forever and ever without end. Because we will have brought into existence a state in which our race's survival and its upward progress are the very purposes, the primary and unalterable purposes of the state itself. But I do not think that July 4th will be our primary national holiday. For as important as breaking away from the racially corrupted British Empire may have been, far more important will be the day yet to come in which the white people of North America throw off the shackles of the Jewish power structure that now misrules us. The day when the philosophies and ideals of Oliver, Rockwell, Pierce, and Hitler will be translated into decisive and unstoppable action that sets our people free. The day when the white men and white women who have what it takes 
whatever their European ancestry and background may be, do what must be done and forever expel the parasite and the other from our midst so that our people may live. I believe that this new day, this day of true freedom, true liberty, true self-determination, true independence, will be the founding day of a new nation, greater than any nation ever seen on this planet. And I believe that the founding of this new nation will also be the founding of a new order, a new confederation, eventually of all nations of European man, for the purpose of eternal racial hegemony over our people's lands and eternal control of our own destiny. I believe that the day of triumph will be the greatest day our people have ever known. I believe that the principles and plan of the National Alliance will be the foundation for the day of triumph. And I believe that hundreds, then thousands, then many thousands of you who are hearing my voice at this crucial moment will join us and will make the day of triumph real in your lifetime.